I would challenge that it's hard to launder a million dollars, but maybe we have different life experiences. No, no, no. let's keep talking about this. <laughs> how, should, how should we launder a million dollars, Steve? You you laugh, but ransomware gangs are the the dark economy is a six trillion dollar economy, and ransomware gangs are the corporations of the dark economy. I guarantee some hacker somewhere has a quota. Welcome to another episode of Bourbon and Data Breaches, where we cover the five most interesting data breaches from this last week and one of our favorite bourbons. I'm Steve. Howdy, I am Shu. I'm Nikki. Hey there, I'm Miguel. Let's start with one that comes from the Washington Post. Headline reads, high schooler and her mother had school records to steal homecoming queen election. Uh, this story comes out of Florida. Florida man is taking a break. Florida mom and daughter are here. Florida mom and daughter. <laughs> and they are stealing a homecoming queen election. Uh, essentially, I'm not going to name the daughter, but obviously she's the student. The mom is an assistant principal in the school system, the same school district. Uh, they use a, a student information um, system called FOCUS. And it has everything about every student. It has grades, medical history, test scores, disciplinary records, uh, birth date, identification number. And the mom, uh, Miss Carol, uh, she's 50. She knew that her daughter was accessing her account and was just willy-nilly about it. Uh, she is now arrested. Uh, she's charged with fraudulently accessing confidential student information. Uh, her daughter got pulled out of school and is in juvie, as, at least for now. This, this, this is from last week, but what a crazy, nutty story in the world. <laughs> Where it come from in Florida? What's your take? So point of clarification, she did not just know that her daughter was using her credentials. It, it says right there that she was giving her credentials to her daughter. It is definitely silly, but it does draw attention to insider threats. And it's, I find this story to be unique. It's not always the insider threat where the employee in this case was complicit. Uh, often it can be the insider threat where they're just a useful idiot um, and their roommate is using their credentials or uh, someone walking by is using their credentials or their girlfriend uh, or a one night stand. So it's, you know, the, the, in Spycraft, there's a lot of uh, Spycraft that involves like one night stands and then you get access to their account and then you go and do, you do something nefarious. Um, so even if you think you trust your employees, um, which you, you really should be careful about insider threats like this, you definitely shouldn't trust them because they're going to be targeted um, and you can't always trust their roommates and you can't always trust who they date. That whole thing with the one night stands and spycraft sounds awfully specific, Steve. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's been a ton of stories. I mean, you know, that, that Russian asset that was basically sleeping her way through the GOP um, and, you know, she was doing it to get uh, access and information and, and that just happens all the time. This is a great story, um, Miguel, if you don't know, um, in America, 
uh, cheerleading is serious business. Um, hacking into networks is really one of the lo one of the lower things that that people have done for for <laughs> cheerleading. It's I mean it literally has gone to murder in in several uh, several occasions. So, y'all cheerleaders in Argentina? No, we didn't have that. I mean, I'm 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 aware that. The U.S. it's like big on homecoming and prom queen and cheerleading because of all the '80s movies mostly. So I got my education from there when it comes to things that are important. But uh, I think that rigging that election, I mean, I think it's like wasting a silver a silver bullet. I mean, to be honest, I mean, if you're gonna do the a crime a fraud, then you might as well do it for something that it's more relevant the way that I see it. Not that I'm advocating for committing any kind of fraud or crime, but to make it, to make such a move for that, I mean, it seems quite idiotic to me. I, I agree with Miguel. Um, if you compare this to other cyber crimes, this could have easily been a vector for ransomware, and then you could have had millions of dollars paid in ransom. So, yep. yeah. It's a, it's a silly, silly crime. Second topic. Hobby Lobby exposed 138 gigs of data. This is from Vice. This snafu impacts more than 300,000 users. It was brought to light by a security researcher by, by the name of Boogeyman. And he pointed out that the information was hosted on an open AWS bucket. And okay, take a shot. Every time you hear open AB AWS bucket, take a shot. <laughs> Oh, sure, you're going to kill us. <laughs> what do you guys think? Don't put customer data into AWS buckets ever. You're, you're doing that on purpose, Steve. Just don't. This, uh, the, yeah, and so this story it gets a lot of press. Thankfully, it was a security researcher that found it, not a hacker, but we never know what hackers found it before the researcher, right? Um, so uh, best practice is encrypt your customer data uh, and do not keep it on something that's built for public access. S3 is a great resource, but time and time again, people get the access control wrong and they expose everything. Put it somewhere where that's not even the case. Don't don't put it on S3. Put put it in a database. Put it put it anywhere else. Um, so I mean the the implications if if a hacker could steal all this, uh, the amount of uh, targeted phishing against Hobby Lobby um, customers. It, it's they've got all your information plus four digits of your credit card. Uh, that's a great phishing campaign. So. I would be very worried, and I want to see what Hobby Lobby is going to do for the uh, for the customers that were included in this. I I believe with that amount of information, all of those customers need identity theft uh, protection. Hey, you know, at least we can all agree that it was the last four digits of a credit card number and not the whole credit card number, like Target. Am I right? Yeah, that is right. But I, I agree with Steve. I mean, that that makes a beautiful phishing campaign. Tar the target yeah. breach, the hacker <clears throat> had to actually jump through some hoops. The hacker had to go in, 
exploit the HVAC company, exploit their connection to Target, load in credit card stealing malware. This was just discovering an S3 bucket, right? That can be done from your phone. Um, so this, I, there's different levels of sophistication. Yes, it was only the last four digits of your credit card, um, but it was not a terribly sophisticated um, way of discovering it. Anyone could have done it. And I think it's time for a bourbon break. Today's bourbon is a cousin of one of the ones that we featured before. It's David Nicholson, but it's not their 1843, it's their reserve. And for today, this is going to be a special tasting because we've not opened the bottle. I've never had this. Shu, have you ever had this one? I don't think I have. So I loved the 1843. That's a great weeded bourbon. And this one is very different. It's not just aged longer. So we're going to pour it right here. This is actually a totally different recipe. Uh, instead of it being weeded, it is actually rye. So let's learn a little bit more about this. They call this uh, a good pairing or a partner bourbon. So if you have seen our earlier episodes, you saw the 1843, it's a wonderful weeded bourbon. I believe it's bottled in bond uh, by David Nicholson. They recently, I don't know when, but at least 2018 released the reserve, which is uh, a rye and they call it a high rye. So this bourbon is from Lux Row Distillers. Lux Row is in Bardstown, Kentucky. Uh, it is not Heavenly Hill, although this particular bourbon may have been sourced from uh, Heaven Hill. It's Heaven Hill, not Heavenly Hill. Um, so the thing about this bourbon, it is sourced. Um, and I'm generally uh, anti-sourced bourbon. Um, Shu, you've been here. Did you go to Luxro? No, but I've been close to there. Should stop there next time. And, and do you have any strong opinions about sourced bourbons? I do. Um, I'm uh, not a fan. I mean, generally. Um, I think it's, uh, it's a lower level of effort from the distillery. I love bottled and bond because that's typically where I get some of the most interesting, unique bourbons. Um, whenever I get a sourced bourbon, it really feels like they've spent more time on the label than on the actual bourbon. Um, you know, sometimes they're buying the same stuff from a mass producer that other places are, are buying and it, it all tastes very similar. Not to say that you can't have a really good sourced bourbon, um, it really depends on what you do with that sourced material. So uh, I've never had this. I'm very hopeful that David Nicholson put a lot of extra effort into this. Uh, they say that this is extra aged. Uh, I don't know what extra aged means, um, but, you know, looks like a pretty place. Uh, really enjoyed their 1843. Um, and we don't have an exact mash bill. Our friends over at Breaking Bourbon haven't really been able to disclose the mash bill um, over here. They thought it was so-so, you know, got two and a half barrels from them, um, but I'm gonna do my tasting right now. So I can definitely smell that rye spice on the nose. 
That's really good. That, that's really good. Um, it is definitely a, a rye bourbon. You've got a lot of uh, that uh, upfront, middle, and then rye finish where you've got that rye spice, some alcohol heat. Um, the thing that I notice about this for not being weeded, uh, and, and I guess they don't disclose the mash bill because it could be a little weeded. Uh, it's incredibly smooth. So this, this actually reminds me a little of, uh, what's, the, what's the pig? Um, the pig, there's the pig. Yes, the, the pig, yeah. Uh, whistle, pig. Whistle. whistle pig, thank you. Whistle this, pig. this reminds me of whistle pig's uh, rye. Um, this is, this is good. It's a little muted in the front. When you first sip it, you don't really know what you're going to get, but the, the character really comes out in the middle and the end. It's got this really long uh, lasting finish and the rye just sort of stays on your tongue. I can still feel the rye right now. So this is probably one of the longest finishes that I've had, other than Maker's Mark. If you drink Maker's Mark, you will still know you're drinking Maker's Mark five minutes after drinking Maker's Mark. Um, but this is sort of the same character. Um, I think I'm going to rate this one. Uh, this one is uh, 7 out of 10. Um, and I would say, I don't know what your MSRP was. I think I got it for under. 35. I actually think I got it for, for a little bit cheaper, uh, maybe like 28. Don't know what was going on there. Um, but uh, if you can find this for under 35 uh, and you like rye, I'd say go for it. Um, this is a, a really good one, uh, especially if you're comparing it to something like uh, Whistle Pig, which is uh, quite a bit more expensive. Well, uh, that's it for the bourbon break. Back to you, Nikki. Topic number three comes from Forbes. Headline reads, Acer faced with ransom up to $100 million after hackers breached network. Uh, it's uh, the most popular ransomware gang that we've covered so far because they are all over the place. It's re-evil. Um, last week, they demanded $50 million from the Taiwanese manufacturer when, and then they gave them, I believe it was a deadline of March 28th to pay the ransom or it would double. So a really high ransom of $50 million would turn into $100 million if not paid. And that is a couple days away. If you were the, the people making the decision, do you pay that or what do you do? What's going on in, in, in this story that we're not seeing? So non sequitur. Re-Evil's the funny ransomware gang. Like we've, we've covered them before. They're the ones with all the color commentary. Um, I find it incredibly odd. They didn't do any color commentary on this one. They just- I was about to ask, what, do you, for blood. what did you all find on this? They, they just asked for a hundred million dollars. That's, that's it. They, there's, there's, no, there's no Harry Palms. There's no, uh, you know, IT manager shaming. Um, they say uh, Acer.com, Taiwanese multinational hardware, um, and then they demand a ransom. That's it. So um, seems weird, but maybe that's Reevil's gig. Like if they're, uh, if they are expecting a big ransom, they're not going to pull out the, uh, 
um, pull out the big guns, um, pull out the color commentary. Yeah, this is a hundred million dollars. I mean, versus yeah. the other, which is like one guy in California's mm-hmm. career. I mean, this is a hundred million dollars. I think that so what they posted was uh, new and it was brand new, and they posted it by the book. I think they're expecting the ransom be paid, so they're not going to piss off Acer by calling them like Harry Palms somethings. <laughs> But we'll have to wait and see. This is a developing story. We'll Trying to see how much. Oh wow! Well, that was an initial. I just googled Acer revenue, and it said two hundred and thirty-four billion. <laughs> that seemed right. <laughs> uh, that's probably their market cap. Um, could could be revenue, but that seems high. I'd, I'd say that that that's their market cap. Uh, with Acer, I looked them up right after I saw this hitting Reevil, uh, and they had just announced their um, latest financial uh, forecast, or uh, they had they had just done their you know public whatever, um, and they had exceeded expectations. So their stock was up like ten percent. Um, and then I was like, ooh, that's this is gonna hurt. That's for last quarter, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, and since say. since we're currently in Q1, it was probably for last year. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I think I, my add to this is that um, if you're dealing with ransomware, don't expect uh, anything rational. I mean, don't expect more of Hollywood style ransom because you're going from fifty million to hundred million if you don't pay. Um, so yeah, they're, they act reasonably to a degree. Second of all, uh, this is just bourbon drinking shoe talking, but if I'm Acer, I don't pay because you know what? Last week I looked up components to build a PC and you can't find goddamn video cards anywhere these days. Anyways, no one's building a PC. I'm going to disagree with you, shoe. If they have a 238 billion market cap um and it depends on what re-evil got but if re-evil got highly sensitive data um they may face more than 100 million in fines for that data being released that's very true do you think that march 28th deadline is part of that is before the month end no, I, I think Reevil is, um, I mean, ultimately Reevil is a business. It's, it's a really, it's a silly business, but it's a business and uh, they want to get paid. And so um, I think March 28th is just, uh, it's an opportune way of putting pressure on, um, on Acer. And I, I guarantee they'll, they'll up the ransom again after the 28th. March 28th, man, they've got to close this and put it on the books before the end of the quarter. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an unmitigated liability. Uh, it, it could, they could take it from a hundred million to a billion. Yeah. And yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> funny stuff. Like you said, some hacker has some quarterly quota to me. You you laugh, but ransomware gangs are the the dark economy is a six trillion dollar economy, 
and ransomware gangs are the corporations of the dark economy. I guarantee some hacker somewhere has a quota. Next topic we're covering from Yahoo Finance. Russian hacker pleads guilty to offering $1 million Bitcoin bribe to Tesla employee. The Russian national who attempted to hack Tesla uh, has pleaded guilty and could spend up to 10 months in prison. Um, but I imagine a, a high-profile company like Tesla probably has this happening all the time. Is that is that a not a fair assumption? Like, I think million-dollar bribes are rare. Also, if a hacker pleads guilty, you know he flipped. So this is the beginning of a story. I guarantee we're going to see several of his uh, colleagues end up in prison because no one pleads guilty without a deal. Um, million dollars, interesting. Uh, putting the, the, I read the article, the interesting part was they were going to do a DDoS attack very publicly against Tesla as they slipped the malware in. So that, that, was, that was interesting. I also wanna know what they are planning on doing with that because you're, you're building a backdoor into cars. That could, be, that could be very dangerous. Yeah, it's an uh, interesting story. And I would bet dollars to donuts, this is not the last time we hear about this particular story. Um, kudos on Tesla or whoever discovered this, right? Million dollar bribes, incredibly hard to find out when they're happening as Wall Street could attest. And uh, they, they somehow caught it, so. Hackers like to sing once they're, once they're caught. Um, and I'm frankly a little surprised at how he got caught. I like some more details on that. Like, did he travel to Italy or something like that? Let's play a game where we just kind of speculate. Let's say this Tesla employee took the million dollars in Bitcoin, and this was probably months ago, before it even quadrupled in value. Well, the employee did not get arrested. So I bet the employee immediately went internal to the security team who then took it to the FBI. So I, I think this is an example, most likely of the proper channels working. Um, also, this is not to say you should do this against your employees, but this is a great example of why you should be sending weird emails to your employees, offering them bribes to do illegal stuff, uh, just to, just to test them out a little bit. You know, you, the, your employees can be targeted. Um, they will be targeted and they should be trained to spot illegal emails, phishing emails, all that, and report it to the security team. If I was this employee, I'd be all like, okay, um, let's take a look at the situation here. I've got a good job, a supposedly good job at, uh, at Tesla. Um, you know, depending on your level engineer, how much salary, um, and this guy offers me money, a million dollars, a million dollars, nothing to sneeze at. But now it's in Bitcoin and I've got to launder that money. I got, I got to like take, like I could just take this money and like fucking buy groceries for the rest of my life. Big deal. So 
Um, or I get someone like Marty Bird from Ozarks to launder the money for me and I take a huge cut. So um, it's just a big hassle for something like this. And this guy probably has gotten maybe like a job for life from, from Tesla now for, for this. I would challenge that it's hard to launder a million dollars, but maybe we have different life experiences. No, no, let's keep talking about this. <laughs> how, should, how should we launder a million dollars, Steve? I feel like a million dollars is pretty easy to launder. You just wash it, right? So, what if it came through but from Bitcoin? What if you got a million dollars in Bitcoin? Look, if you'd like more tips on how to launder money through Bitcoin, you should subscribe to our other podcast, Committing Illegal Acts with Bitcoin. Quite frankly, that's a better podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want your front door to be busted down. All right, so moving on to topic number five. This is going to be the last topic of the day that we're covering. It is coming to us by way of Wired.com. Headline reads, The Peculiar Ransomware Piggybacking Off of China's Big Hack. Deer Cry is the first attack to use the same Microsoft Exchange vulnerabilities, but its lack of sophistication lessens the threat. Can you guys provide, provide a bit more on what this article was trying to cover? So um, what I found interesting from this article was that this is uh, ransomware we've never seen before. And we've seen a lot of ransomware. We're tracking like two dozen varieties. Uh, deer cry, deer cry. Yeah. Deer cry. So uh, as far as I know, they don't have a disclosure site. They don't provide color commentary like re-evil. Um, they're new on the scene. What I found it, what, what I found interesting was they started exploiting the Microsoft Exchange vulnerability a little bit too fast. China clearly knew about the Microsoft Exchange vulnerability very early on. And as soon as they figured out that the vulnerability was, was detected, uh, they started uh, in bulk taking over exchange servers. Um, I question how DeerCry was able to do that so fast. Uh, I hypothesize that they got it from China. This may be a state-sponsored ransomware. Um, which, if, if it's true, and you know, this is all hypothetical, that would be the first, as far as I know, the first state-sponsored ransomware. Um, but that gets into really dangerous territory because <clears throat> that could be considered an act of war. Um, so uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but um, they clearly were able to exploit the vulnerability very quickly. Uh, did they have any foreknowledge or were they just really fast on the pickup? We don't know. I'm going to have to disagree with you, Steve. Um, I like to blame China for a lot of things. Um, but for this article, it was not a very, as outlined in this article, it was not a very sophisticated malware piece of software. WannaCry was, uh, I don't know if sophisticated is kind of word, but it was a much more complex uh, piece of software. You could almost call it a platform. Uh, Deer Cry is basically one part of that that they copied. So 
um, I think the lesson here is that it's very easy to create malware. Um, and you can't really say that it is a state-sponsored actor because this could have been just some teenager in a, in a basement that created this and, and mimic that got that somehow got the got the WannaCry software and just duplicated a portion of it. So so I, I agree with you there. They they duplicated WannaCry. My concern is how quickly they weaponized the exchange vulnerability. And weaponizing a vulnerability is very hard. Uh, China had already weaponized the vulnerability, but number two in terms of weaponizing it was this deer cry, uh, who's bad at writing ransomware, but good at exploiting a vulnerability. And uh, in my opinion, the only reason they would be such poor programmers, but also so fast as if they had foreknowledge. And that makes me think they either are state-sponsored or they know someone who is state-sponsored and they knew about the vulnerability before it was public. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely fair. It could be a, a lower level group. Uh, knowing how uh, Russian hackers work, if we extrapolate that to Chinese hackers, it could be a lower level group uh, on this that took advantage of this. Yeah, I mean, once you exploit the vulnerability once, you can share that with friends or family. And so it could have been someone that was a part of the, I guess we'll call it the red team for China, um, which is redundant. And uh, they just took the exploit and they shared it with a friend who, you know, patched together some ransomware. Yeah, I, I think we agree that the key takeaway on this, uh, the challenge of this is not to write the ransomware, is to find the vulnerability. That was the hardest part on this. This has been an episode of Bourbon and Data Breaches. If you like what you saw today, please like, comment, and subscribe. If you didn't like what you saw today, please like, comment, and subscribe. There's a bourbon or breach you'd like us to cover. Contact us at contact at hacknotice.com. Until next time.